With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, so this is the third ATP match of the year. This is actually the first time I agree with a John Silk placement as well. <laughs> and I think I will agree with him on the on the number two and number one as well. But of course, before then, on every single one of these that I did, you could hear me just talking about, no, John is not right putting that in that spot. But anyway, um, I'm here with James, uh, not Mario, unless, uh, you know, you've seen the title. You might have been, con you might be confused right now, but it's actually going to be James, yes. And, yeah, uh, yeah sort we're of transformed be from Mario into, into, into me almost. 
Yeah, is that an upgrade? Is that a downgrade? I mean, you guys tell us. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, how are you? And we're going to be talking about um, Sinner uh, Djokovic in Turin, of course. We are. I am doing good. I hope you're doing well, well as well, Damien, um, on this, well, uh, very the shortest day of the year, of course, it is today in the Northern Hemisphere. So it's, uh, you know, we get as much sunlight as we can. And of course, you know, it's um, we're all still clambering for tennis to sort of come. At least I feel I'm clambering for tennis to come back now. Um, uh, um, I think about the breaks too much. But yeah, to talk about this sort of great match that we were, that is um, sort of took in the bronze position um on the on the rankings you know without Sinner versus Djokovic uh um a small chink in the armor of Djokovic's season you could pretty much call it you could pretty much call this match yeah probably maybe. one of the reasons why why uh you know there is some consideration that maybe in the last two or three months Sinner was actually as good as Djokovic but of course you know Novak ended up winning this event but we'll get to that maybe let's start by talking you know uh, about the matchup as a whole because going into Turin um, it was three and zero for Djokovic, and well, he uh, defeated Sinner. In case um, someone doesn't remember, I will read out that he defeated uh, Sinner in Monte Carlo, 2021, and then of course twice at Wimbledon. So um, was this like a big milestone to you, also in that way that that Sinner ended up picking his first picking up his first win over Djokovic? Because when it when it comes to the Medvedev matchup, I think we were definitely looking at it like that. I mean, there it was zero six, so like double the amount of losses. But even here, um, you know, Sinner Sinner even once led Djokovic two and zero in sets in Wimbledon. But as we all know, it was like the most lopsided five setter in history, and once the first <laughs> set actually started. It never really got any close to um, Sinner to a Sinner victory. So was this like, you know, as important as beating Medvedev for the first time for Sinner, or maybe wow. more important because it's Djokovic? Yeah, I mean it's Djokovic. I mean the course is going to be. I mean, no offense to any Medvedev fans in the chat, but beating Djokovic is significantly more more harder than it is beating beating Medvedev at points. I mean, beating Medvedev is really hard as it is anyway. Um, but it's almost as though sticking, you know, new game plus on when it comes to um, when when it comes to sort of trying to beat Djokovic, especially when he's on form. I I, I do think there was real significance coming into uh, coming into this match, just down to the fact of what happened at Wimbledon, you know, a couple of months prior. I mean, yeah, I mean, losing to Djokovic at Monte Carlo in 2021, you know, Sinner still coming up the rankings, the chance to try and you know match himself against. Uh, against one of the best, the best in the world, pretty, pretty much at that point, you know, nobody really would expect you to win, but at least to be able to put a good show on and then try and build from there, um, you know, going up. But you know, certainly up coming off the back of the Wimbledon result from 2022, you know, people were like, okay, maybe this match will be competitive. Maybe, maybe this contest could end up, you know, having something connected to it. But the way in which Djokovic dismantled Sinner in that Wimbledon final was quite alarming almost and I think a lot of the narrative I think we all saw both on you know social media and on here as well was that whenever we got draws that popped up afterwards we were really hoping that one side of the draw would have Alcaraz and Sinner because we knew that matchup would be competitive and then the other side of the draw would have Medvedev and Djokovic because that would also be a competitive matchup if you switch Sinner and Al uh, Sinner and Medvedev in their places people were um were, were really disappointed because it then became a very one-sided matchup because Alcaraz was constantly beating Medvedev uh, and Djokovic was, felt like he had his number on Sinner. But, you know, certainly in the latter half of this year, when you know, we come to the US Open and it came to this, those two forms started to move around. And, you know, this was the sort of perfect, you know, you could probably say the perfect environment for, for Sinner to be able to then go, right, 
I've got the crowd behind me. It's an indoor hard. I'm very good on indoor hard. Let's go and take it to Djokovic. And, you know, there was a lot of other factors on Djokovic's side, which meant his, his level was slightly lower than what we would usually expect from Djokovic. You know, he, he was talking about how his motivation had completely... Well, I say completely. His motivation had dropped after he got the year-end number one in the previous match against Runa. Uh, so it was almost like the perfect, the perfect hotbed almost for Sinner to really sort of take to take it to Djokovic in, uh, in this contest. Yeah, and by the time we got like to the group stage, even to the draw, you know, not not even to this match, but like before Djokovic clinched the number one, I think people were actually already really excited for this one, right? Because it seemed like Sinner has just made so much progress since Beijing, since um, Vienna, you know, the post-puke variation, let's say, of Yannick Sinner. <laughs> and um, yeah, as you, as you said, I mean, the rapid courts in Turin, absolutely a perfect chance. And uh, definitely it was different there at Wimbledon, where we were like, yeah, as you said, at Wimbledon, everyone was like, can we swap the semis? Whereas mm. in um, in the ATP finals, when we had the groups, I think a lot of people were already thinking, yeah, I want to see Djokovic sooner now. Like, this is actually a match that right now could be very interesting. And uh, I guess in the end, you know, it, it, it was the result where Djokovic loses an inconsequential match and then wins <laughs> the important one. But of course, uh, you know, it, it didn't feel like that at the time. It didn't feel like it was inconsequential. It was actually kind of wild that Sinner still wasn't qualified after this. But anyway, yeah, let's let's maybe start talking about the match then. Um, of course, we, uh, we have the opening set, which as usual in Turin features a lot of uh, straight holds. But still, I mean, the way Sinner is especially holding on to his serve, right? The, the improvements that he made there, along with his with his team, of course, in the second half of the year, I feel like that's a big theme for this match as well. Because outside of one game, I think he wasn't even broken, right? You know, I think it's I think the, I think for both. Uh, what was it? When it comes to both of them, you know, Djokovic was only broken twice, and you know that was the lack yeah. that was literally the last service game for Djokovic in the first set and then also midway through the third uh I mean I, I, I had a quick you know glance over the stats again for for both mm -hmm. um bizarrely actually both players didn't really have a great in terms of first serve service service game you know generally I mean and that translated to all the sets I mean both players were only low 60s when it comes to percentages and when you think of a top 10 player you kind of think that you know you kind of expect that they're um Serve percentages are going to be much, are going to be much higher than that, closing on mid mid to high sixties, potentially even low seventies. Uh, and and it, but when they were firing those first serves, you know there were very was very low return percentage points of, of points being won. Both players were basically around about twenty percent on each other's first serves when it came to being able to actually win points off them, which is incredibly low and and led to the like you say the 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 the, the first set going the way it did. Hold, 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 hold. I mean, Sinner's serve has massively, has massively, um, um, I say increased, but got better in terms of its um, placement, in terms of, um, in terms of its speed as well, which which then actually has turned it into a real weapon for him, um, which you know, which is incredibly important to be able to get those three points and to use that as a key weapon on your service, on your, yeah, on your service games, because you want to make them as easy as possible, as was seen with, um, uh, certainly as was seen with, the, with this match here. Uh, but you know, not to knock off Novak Djokovic, who's got you know arguably one of the best serves on the actual tour in terms of its placement, in terms of its speed, and you know, and, and taking into account, he said the, the very quick terrain courts. I mean, I believe the the peer pace index for uh, or the court speed index for the terrain surface was around about forty five. Um, I think like forty five point five or something like that, which was which is incredibly fast um, in terms of for 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 a main. Um, 
uh, for a main tour court. I mean, you know, most other courts, you know, are, tend to be around about mid to high 30s, never mind actually going mid, you know, mid 40s in terms of speed. So carrying on both the pace and the placement that both players had meant that, as you say, it was a very, you know, it was very much, you know, I trade you one serve, you trade me another all the way to the end in terms of being able to hopefully maybe get those odd little points that you can then sort of tackle and go for. Yeah, I'm now rewatching the 5 0 game in the opening set, which of course is really crucial. Djokovic actually led 40 15. Then he mm -hmm. sort of like approaches the net. You know, it's a pretty weak try. Uh, Sinner passes him without any issues, but you know, you think at the time that, well, it might still be inconsequential given it was at 40 15. But then Sinner comes up with a couple of these great points where he just. Yeah, randomly hits a strong shot out of nowhere, which is probably his trademark, really, probably the thing that he does best. And, uh, well, yeah, he, he suddenly breaks Djokovic, which I, I guess at the time, you know, must have felt like a bit, yeah, out of the blue for sure. And, and he manages to clinch the next game very easily as well, going up one set of on Djokovic. No, and it's uh, it's incredibly important. Um, whenever you're playing Djokovic, if you can try and get that first set, um, many you know, I, I, I know he's got a, a very an incredible um, record at Grand Slams, which he, which is that if he's, I think he's only ever lost a Grand, you know, I think in the last recent years or something in finals, he's, he's never lost a, um, he's only ever lost twice a Grand Slam match or a final match where he's been leading after the first set. Um, so I know I know that's you know translating to the um, Grand Slam arena. But generally, you want to be making sure that you are keeping your nose ahead against Djokovic all the way through. Because if he if he did take that first set, it could end up being quite a bloody and brutal um, second set for, um, following on from that. Yeah, and uh, the quality, of course, remains very, very high throughout set two as well. I have this uh, ridiculous point really here at 1-2, uh, low 30, where Sinner could be in real trouble, of course potentially facing three breakpoints. Um, Djokovic sends him wide on this forehand and Sinner just finds a ridiculous angle here to save himself. Djokovic claps, of course, as he often does after great shots from the opponent. But yeah, there's uh, there's really lots of positives still for, for Sinner, even though he loses this set, right? I mean, he again holds six times against Djokovic. He again is like pretty comfortable actually like going to the net. Uh, he is no... Um, yeah, he's not just glued to the baseline, but he's actually, you know, using all of that tactical improvement as well that we've seen since since puking in Beijing. <laughs> and I mean, uh, the, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, one of the interesting things in which I saw when I was um, watching some of the extended highlights was yep. how well Sinner was able to bring Djokovic to the net and then really exploit him there, um, which is such a you know, it's such a great skill to be able to have to be able to both you know be able to draw your opponent in and then be able to just finish them off with with, with a Quite what could be a straight, you know, a very forward, straightforward uh, passing shot winner. I mean, uh, you know, one of Djokovic's key skills in his games is that he likes to, you know, he likes to dictate from the back of the court, and only really a, a, one or two players on the actual tour are able to really match him on a on a baseline to baseline exchange. Sinner at points can certainly do that, but he understood during the match, and that's a real testament to Sinner's. Um, development as a player is that he was able to go right. I'm not going to beat him if I just continuously keep on whacking it from baseline to baseline. I do need to bring him forward. I do need to. Uh, I do need to change this up at points. 
uh, to really make Djokovic uncomfortable and to, uh, and to force either errors or to force openings uh, against him to be able to, uh, to be able to get the win. Because you you know think about a year ago, you know Sinner you know naturally likes to stick on the baseline, likes you know very comfortable just you know same type shot to same type shot forehand backhand. Uh, and just hoping he can hit his opponent off the court that way, or at least, you know, force them back enough for them to make a mistake. Um, but for him to be able to then show that sort of emotional intelligence, and, you know, we could probably um, credit Darren Cahill in that, in terms of um, being able to, you know, show to Sinner that he needs to bring those extra elemental shots into his game to be able to then, you know, force those extra extra points out of him, or out of um, Djokovic on that one. Yeah, and that's why Darren Cahill and Simon Levanozzi ended up getting the Coach of the Year award, which for some reason, was actually controversial among the Novak fandom. Um, but anyway, you know, maybe some people would just like to, you know, number one... Some people take that way too well. seriously. I'm sorry. I mean, there was absolute uproar in it, wasn't it? That one, like, sportsmanship, just Alcaraz. I know from certain sections of uh, the Djokovic faithful. It's just like, it's just a silly little award that's, that, 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 that's, that's voted on between players. I mean, yeah, okay, you know, they have a little think. They vote through. They think it's been quite a good sportsman and then they put, put it through. Like, it isn't some sort of, like, you know, election to elect the president of the united states you know it's just a no, i mean they, they have right. some right to be angry i guess with the fact that he's never nominated for sportsmanship whereas you know he has um you know considerably helped the lives of other tennis players and probably more so used that platform than federer and Nadal. but anyway of course that's not about that um given the you know coach of the year of course is voted by fellow coaches so you know mm. who are you even uh, who are you even um, sort of disagreeing with here? But anyway, uh, how do Matthew? Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, uh, yeah. one, I, don't, I know it's a weird one, so you still go, still go yeah, on. Okay. But, you, know, you look at development in that one. You know what was it? The 2021. It was Cameron Norrie who won it because Palkuna yeah. got Norrie from being outside the top 30 to winning a Masters 1000 title and finishing the year in the top 10 or at least around the top 10. That is showing a huge sign of progress, and you know, a real good sign of a good coach is being able to take someone from quite far outside the rankings and quite low in, in terms of where they can get to in, in tournaments and really progressing them through either into, like you say, into that top 20, top 10, being able to then get them to, you know, big finals or get them, you know, deep in big master, big um, Grand Slam events. That's a sign of an excellent coach, not somebody who can come in to a player who's already number one in the world and winning Grand Slams and then still be to be number one in the world and winning Grand Slams. You're not showing any real sign of coaching, you know, prowess uh, in, in doing that. But, you know, as much as I think, you know, Ivan Goran Izovinovic um, is, a, is a great coach, you know, I have, I have, you know, we need to see him taking somebody who's ranked 100 in the world and stick him in into the top 10 to then really still see how good of a coach he actually is. Sorry, that's yeah, all around. I mean, that that's sort of right. I mean, I would um I would be fine with him getting the award for sure. Like if there was no other amazing candidate, which pretty much this year, you know, I think it was just a straight up, yeah. I mean, has to go to Cahill and Vanozzi because you just see such clear tactical improvement as well, such clear areas where you actually, you know, feel like the coach improved the player. Whereas Djokovic sort of at this age, you know, uses Goran probably more so for like mental support and like maybe some throwing some ideas at him. You know, he's, yeah. yeah, as you said, he's so developed as a player. But anyway, um, Matthew, how do uh, you, um, we should probably have it on the screen. Um, that's a nod to our producer that we are talking about um, Djokovic Sinner in Turin. Uh, Goran did alter Djokovic serve, but there wasn't this year, right? So, uh, so we're not mm -hmm. really talking about it right here. 
Uh, but yeah, the last few years, I've actually been really uh, impressed with the choices in terms of coach of the year. But I guess that makes sense because the fellow coaches do that, right? So, I mean, they should know best. And, you know, ch choices like, yeah, Facundo Lugones or Fernando Vicente for Rublev in 2020 or even Cervara for, for 2019. I think all of these were really excellent. So um, that's probably the category that I've been like the most satisfied with, really. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus uh but anyway uh we're not we're not talking about it today so yeah let's maybe get to the second tie break it was actually sinner with a mini break early uh but there's this phenomenal point at two three that Djokovic eventually wins it's like one of these rallies where he just goes into lockdown mode everything is coming back and eventually he forces an error from sinner and of course as we all know in a couple of points it ended up taking him to uh one set all to answer it all i uh remember there was a what was it against the rune maybe in in that event there was like a horrible tie break that djokovic played i think it was the second set tie break against rune but generally speaking of course he is really strong in these and we will get back to that because it's actually a really important part of this match later on uh but yeah he just plays you know he does what he does best in that second set tie break djokovic i mean he just basically doesn't miss and ends up, uh, well, leveling the match against an opponent who was really, like, on fire going into that part of the match. Yeah, I mean, one of the things in which, you know, you potential things that were affecting Sinner at the time, you know, certainly would have been that, you know, you got to a tiebreaker, you know, if you win the tiebreaker, the, the match is over. You know, that those sort of nerves may have started to play into, into Sinner's mindset. And as you say, Djokovic has been the king of it this year when it comes to, when it gets to a tiebreaker, I'm still going to play my top level. My opponent is not going to be playing his top level uh, and I'm going to be able to exploit him in, the, in those circumstances. I mean, what, there, was a, what was, there was a stat somewhere that I saw that was for the entirety of the French Open and I think up until like the final at Wimbledon. And every tiebreaker Novak played, he never made an unforced error. I mean, yeah, it was like is... 50, 50 something points, right? It got to it got to that, yeah. Nuts, absolutely nuts stats. I mean, it shows how much of a superhuman Novak Djokovic is at that, is at that same time. But you know, that is the almost the embodiment of the saying, you know, keep playing your level when you get into the when you get to those tight moments. Because you know, you you know, did not he wasn't missing, he was making sure his opponents was um his opponents were, you know, really, really solid in terms make sure his opponents were the ones that were going to drop their level, really being solid on all, all the facets of your of his serve. You know, and okay, like you know, he's had a couple of mistakes popped up. I also think that you know we'll probably get onto it, but this the third set against, you know, that was actually the next set straight after the tiebreaker there. Oh no, there wasn't the tiebreaker on that one. Um, the um, like you said, the, the one against Runa was a bit, of a, bit of a shocker on that one. Um, was it a tiebreaker? Yeah, it was a tiebreaker. Okay, it was, a tiebreaker. Yeah, it was a tiebreaker. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a tiebreaker. My mind's completely gone on that one. Sorry, Damien. Uh, the the third set tiebreaker was unfortunately that that high level wasn't able to continue on to there, and Sinner but then kind of kept his level during that tiebreaker. But we'll get to that in a bit. 
But as you say, you know, that, that consistency that Novak's shown in all his tiebreakers, you know, keeping those are keeping his levels, you know, leads to winning tiebreaks and really, you know, disenfranchising your opponents. Yeah, it's really like percentage tennis at its best. And yeah, that, that's what Novak does so well. And that's what got him um, so deep, of course, over. That's really like simplifying it. But like, that's why he has the, the, the slams that he has. And uh, yeah, just to sort of refer to the, the stat that you mentioned earlier, uh, when Novak won the first set this year, he only lost twice in 49 matches. And that was, of course, against Musetti in Monte Carlo, where he wasn't fit. And also against mm. Alcaraz at Wimbledon. So yeah, that best of five, I guess it's going to be a little different because you have more time to regain, um, well, that that zero one deficit. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, I actually also noticed that on the head to head page on the ATP Tour site, uh, Sinir Djokovic, uh, the match isn't mentioned. Turin, actually, it's interesting. Yeah, I noticed that they've got a new they've got a new look on the website as well, which was a bit yeah. Of a it seems that, horrible right? to me. It seems horrible to me, but well, a lot more curved. There's a, there's a, there's a lot more curves on it. Um, but the, maybe we'll just yeah, get used to it. it. They've not got it up, but I've clicked onto the World Tour thing, and like if you go a little bit further into the website, you can find the match. Um, but yeah, like you know, it's it's yeah, I don't understand why it is included in the overall result, right? I mean, the in the four two um head-to-head -head score let's say let's call it i don't know in the in the wins it is included but it's not in the event break yeah you can't find so. you can't find the match you just click on the head-to-head -head itself you have to like go onto the tournament and then go and then go to yeah the matches in that tournament to be able to then open it up obviously the the people at atp were like there's only one match that takes place during during <laughs> that world tour finals and it's the last match they play you know that round robbie match doesn't exist that's how that's how Novak Djokovic surely will um, want to you know want it to be, but um, yeah. Anyway, uh, there's that sixth game of the third set then, which uh, you know at the time Sinner is just absolutely firing. He gets this amazing forehand cross court return, uh, fist obviously uh, you know huge reaction to it as well. He seems really locked in, and at four two he finds himself just two holds away from the match. But of course, it wasn't quite so simple, even though I still see that in the next game, he played a couple of amazing points. I mean, that forehand drop shot, for example, it's not like a typical Sinner drop shot. It's not a Sinner drop shot from the first half of the of the season when he hits it at 15.30. But um, of course, he, he does drop serve eventually. The, the, the break was never consolidated, right? No, and it was something that Novak was incredibly good at throughout the entirety of Turin, actually, was when he got broken, he breaks back instantaneously very well. Um, I remember um, a couple of sets a couple of sets against uh, Runa. Uh, Runa was able to get a break up, and instantaneously he was broken straight back. He was able to really either up his game, um, certainly, in terms of, you know, became a lot, a lot stronger when it came to returning, um, but was also able to really capitalise on on the mistakes that his opponent was showing as they would get quite tight in that second game. And it's a classic saying, which is, you know, you, a break's never really a break until it's consolidated straight after. Uh, and that's what Novak showed, um, showed in that, in that third set. And, you know, at that point, it very much did feel as though, okay, maybe the, maybe we now know the direction of this match, you know, that maybe would have been that point, that chance for Sinner to be able to, to, to sort of run away with it at this stage, or at least be able to take the match. And he wasn't able to do so. And, you know, you're kind of resigning yourself to the fact that, right, it looks as though Novak's going to come on, uh, really up his game, and he's going to end up walking walking away with this. And, you know, it was, another, again, another bit of a testament to Sinner uh, that he was able to really refine his service form going into the next into the next service game and taking it then all the way to the tiebreaker. 
Yeah, and as as we said earlier, I mean, the second set tiebreak was just so excellent from Novak. You just sort of expect him to do it again because, yeah, besides that one against Rune, throughout the year, he barely had any poor tiebreaks, really. And uh, I don't think it was really that poor from him either here. I, I, I actually think it was just Sinner, you know. Um, he um, So it sort of reminds me of the Sinner Medvedev Beijing match, which we also had on our list at number seven. I did the um, video for that with Mario, I think. And uh, basically both tiebreaks there were won by Sinner to 7-2, which is also the case here. And um, yeah, it just flows pretty similarly. Like at first he just hits a couple of ridiculous shots to go to mini breaks up. And then there's never even a chance for Djokovic to win it, which is you know kind of wild when we're talking about Djokovic tiebreaks and not Djokovic tiebreaks like the one against Rune in the second set where he just sort of made five errors or something but it, it here reminds um me a lot, it reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of a psych um of, of what was it it was there was um a i don't even watch cycling at all damien or at least like track cycling at the olympics um it cycling was, um, um i mean I, I know how it looks you know, you know it looks. <laughs> there was um th- there was this one race it was for the uh, it was i think it was for the gold medal at the last at the last olympics Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was this British cyclist. I've forgotten his name. Something Trot. Uh, um, I think Jason. Uh, Jason Kenny. That was it. Jason Kenny. Um, he in this final, he kept on getting beaten in the uh, in the um, like the semi final beforehand, and had to go through like some sort of like you know last chance doing rapid charge mm-hmm. to get into it because he was sticking in the pack. And that kind of feels like what Djokovic, well, at least what Sinner was doing in the previous um, in the previous tiebreak. But then in the final, what Jason did was he basically, as soon as the, the, this little um, the small um, cycle or the small um, small little bicycle that was leading the pack first of all before it jumps junk, in for the last two laps, Jason, as soon as the car, that, that one went, he bolted it straight down the actual track itself for like the half the actual um, length of the circuit and just was like, right, I'm going to go straight out into the front. I'm going to try and hold on to the end. That's the only way in which I'm going to win this. And it kind of felt a bit like that for Sinner where he was like, right, I'm just going to bolt it as quickly as I can to that, the, to, 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 you know, love, five love, six love, you know, really try and catch Djokovic napping in that. Uh, and then, uh, and then hopefully be able to sort of stick out to the end. And that was exactly what kind of ended up happening where that bolt out straight to the bit, bolt out to the top of the uh, points, managed to keep out there and managed to get to seven at, the, at that point there. That makes sense, and it was a really weird analogy that I was trying to show. That. No, no, no. It, it makes sense because it kind of starts for me with the second point already. Uh, that reactive return that Sinner takes so early, and, and yeah, just straight at Djokovic, he has no time to react to it at all. And uh, that's sort of it. Like after that, Sinner just wins the next few points, and it's over. And yeah, to play a tiebreak like this, I remember it felt absolutely massive at the time, to play a tiebreak like this against Djokovic, of course, because yeah, as, as I said, I mean, we've seen them, for example, in, in, in Beijing, and both, both the tiebreaks in the, in the final against Medvedev, but to play a tiebreak like that against Djokovic, especially after three hours of play, because I think just before the tiebreaker, we have uh, we eclipsed that and um, yeah, I mean, it was just spotless. I know he lost two points, but like they were, they came way too late to really matter. And he also closed it out in a, in good style, which I like. You know, when a a big win or like a very impressive performance is closed out with a winner with a good point. I mean, here is just a plus one forehand and a smash, but that that already counts. You know, that's a oh, satisfying I mean, if you're, if you're finish. A player, 
having that sort of finish is probably a bit like a bit like a bread and buttery. It's not, you know, you don't have to do theatrics at the back of the court yeah. from one side to the other, coming to the net with drop volleys and all sorts like that. It was right, stick him out wide. He then fires one back. Another strong forehand. Djokovic sticks it into the air. It's only going to really land on the on the um, in the service box and then just whack it away. And then, you know, it's almost as though, like, the cookie cutter, you do it on the, you know, it's the old saying from football, you know, do, you do it on the training ground um, moves that you're doing there. It was like that, like you probably do on the court with a training remover, perfect, match over, uh, walk up to the net. Yeah, so um, do, well, when we were doing the shortlist for the matches of the year and we're sort of just deciding on seven to include, um, there were a lot of free hour battles that we wanted to mention, you know, a couple of tie breaks in there, maybe even three tie breaks in there, maybe some match points saved. So what takes this match for you like above that all? Why is it, you know, pretty much distinctly number three? Because I feel like no one is really disagreeing with this. Like there's there's a clear top two in terms of the Djokovic-Alcaraz matches. Uh, both of them, you know, slightly bigger, let's say in, in you know, stature or whatever. Then you have this one, and then there is a bit of a gap to me. Like I, I, I feel like it's it's definitely like distinctly the third best match of the season. So what makes it better than all the other dramatic battles like this? You know, going three hours, lots of tie breaks, lots of pressure points. That's a very good question. I would certainly say, you know, you, you can you can boil it down first of all to the quality of of, of the hitting. You know. Okay, you know, very low um, percentages of return points wrong. People keeping their serve really strongly, really, you know, um, you know, really being able to sort of go right. I hold my serve, you hold your serve. I hold my serve, you hold my serve. But then, you know, the quality of the of the points hitting. I mean, I remember watching on the replays that the fact that Sinner was able to really hit the ball consistently deep to the Djokovic, um, both forehand and backhand at the baseline. Similarly for um, the way Djokovic was able to get it back to, back to Sinner. Uh, that played into having you know a high quality match in which the winners were spectacular and the unforced errors were, were relatively low uh for, for both players but then also you know you look at the occasion you know this is Sinner in Turin you know this is you know this is the closest tournament he has to a home tournament in northern Italy uh you know for him to be able to then you know really show what he what he can do there uh and then you know then certainly given you know the results that were coming into this coming into this match you know with, with the fact that Djokovic had been close to being quite dominant in in all three contests and and the way in which Sinner had has developed and certainly in the latter half of the year uh to, to be able to get the to, to be able to get the victory as he did yeah and that's you, you said mine was good but I actually love this one from John as well does Sinner winning elevate this match and I I would have mm -hmm. to say yes like if if Djokovic wins it even in three hours, it's probably like, you know, around Djokovic, Rune, Paris, Djokovic, Rune, Turin, right? It, it, it's pretty similar then, I guess, if Djokovic ends up winning it. it. It's really not that much better then. But here with the whole storyline of Sinner getting that win, and yeah, Matthew is also right to point out the Wimbledon final. Uh, it, it's a bit of a similar case. Like if Djokovic wins the Wimbledon final, I don't think it's really a contender for the number one spot then. Uh, I, I actually don't know if it's the number one spot on the list uh, for John, but I would say that um, right now it's like pretty close for me between Cincinnati and Wimbledon. But if Djokovic mm. won that one, and of course it's no, no, you know, no shade to Djokovic whatsoever. It's just the fact that this him losing is basically already a storyline. You know, it's already a narrative we can talk about. Whereas if he wins, it's like, yeah, I mean, he's won again. He's won again. You know, he's so impressive. 
but it sort of would fall into the category of all the matches that Djokovic won and some of the, them being extremely close battles. But like, yeah, I, I do think that the Sinner, that Sinner winning this one is actually huge in regards to the position of this match in, you know, in our perception or whatever. Yeah, I mean, if you're able to beat the person who's arguably the greatest of all time, your match automatically gets elevated as one of the best of the year. You know, as you say, you know, the guy, the, you know, the plaudits for Djokovic this year are numerable, you know, in terms of winning three out of the four Grand Slam titles, winning two Masters events, the World Tour finals that he ended up doing at the end of the year. Uh, I, I mean, there's nothing that that man had not, you know, and he was basically one set or one dodgy, you know, um, smash away from potentially winning hmm. Wimbledon as well. Um, you know, when you when you break it down, it's you know to be able to then get that victory over the what is perceived as the better player or the or the basically the bigger giant. You know that that that, that is huge, and, it, and 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 the and the furore and, and the energy that will get put around the match because of that. You know, you know, you said does elevate it to 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 a, to a degree where you know it is a it is a fantastic. You know, it, it makes it a fantastic match. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, and uh, that wasn't the last time they played in 2023 as well. We also got them, of course, facing each other in the final. We got them facing each other in the Davis Cup semis. Pretty historic match as well, given that Djokovic blew three consecutive match points. But um, do you I think any... I still wonder how he did that. I still really wonder how he ended up, <laughs> ended up doing it. I was watching that match as well. And it was like, when he got to like 5-5 five, five and Djokovic was 40 up, I was like, it's over. It's over. He's got him where he wants him. And then he played the most casual next three points I've ever seen Djokovic play. And they presto, Sinner walks away with it. Yeah, and do you think, um, because when we were deciding the shortlist with um, Jack and John on the on, on the Twitter space, we were sort of thinking, you know, which of these three matches should we include, Djokovic and Sinner? And I think, actually, all of us were in favor of the Turin one, but definitely Davis Cup did come into the conversation a little bit. Um, probably the ATP finals, you know, the actual final, I don't think it really was there because we were just like, well, it's an individual performance that is really impressive, but as a match, it's probably a little, you know, a, a lot behind these two, just given the fact that there was no drama, there was no, um, yeah, the score, the scoreline was really lopsided. But yeah, were these two any, like, you know, close to making the list for you as well, close to, you know, being top 10 matches of the year and did we choose right in terms of picking the the match from the Djokovic Sinner trilogy to to make this list no I certainly think this one was the right one to pick I know you've got a little slack for the which one of the Medvedev Sinner matches you wanted to wanted to pick from, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know Beijing or Vienna I'm, I'm a Vienna but that's uh that's, that, that's my personal sort of reference on that one but certainly I think this is the best Djokovic Sinner match of the year um, I don't think that you know. I, I watched both matches in terms of you know re referring to the to David Davis Cup match, and I don't think the level that Djokovic showed in the Davis Cup was anywhere near the level that he was showing 
um, at the, the ATP finals. So certainly, you know, although that was historic for Sinner as, as another title that he picked up here, um, it, it very much felt as though the the Jock the Jokovic in the match for the round robin was the better match. I mean, the big question I kind of now want to flip to you, Damien, is do you think you know certainly with the form that Sinner showed at the end of the year, do you think this will continue into the uh, into the Australian swing and going on to uh, uh, and going on to the, f- the first half of, the, of next year? That's a question that I also wanted to pose to you, of course. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's good, it's good. We need to talk about that for sure. Like, how do we see the you know this rivalry and also yes, yeah, Sinner progressing from here? Um, I would love to say yes. Uh, I generally think that probably Australia is the slam I would most like to pick Sinner for next year, you know, to like make the final or a title. I'm just a little bit worried that it, that it is so early in the year. Like if you swapped Australia and the US Open, <laughs> I would love to pick Sinner as my Australian Open winner. But because it's so early in the year, I, I, I do have my restrictions, uh, my reservations. I don't know if they actually make sense. You know, it's just the fact that we haven't seen Sinner in doing this in a best of five play in best of five play. But especially rewatching, you know, the extended highlights of these matches recently, like this one or the Djokovic, uh, uh, not Djokovic, Sinner Medvedev in Beijing final. I do feel like, you know, the quality of play is just so good that I don't really know what's, what will be stopping him. You know, fitness-wise, it's been a while since he struggled too much. Of course, Beijing, yeah, he did puke, but, you know, he, he managed to get out of that pretty quickly. Of course, he withdrew in Paris, but that was, like, more so ridiculous scheduling from the organizers, and I don't think anyone can really blame him for that. And after all, he also said, and, you know, it's a very good quote that, um basically right now he just knows his body better and he just sort of knows what's okay for him and what's not and playing 14 hours after finishing a match at 3 a.m wasn't and uh that's perfectly fine i'm not one of these people who think it's soft or whatever it is his right to withdraw and uh yeah I, i i just don't know if we should have any concerns i do wonder if he's like a bona fide contender for paris for london I will have my doubts there probably. However, um, yeah, I mean, Australia should really suit him. He was in the forefront last year losing to Tsitsipas. That was a five-setter. He wins that. Who knows? Maybe he makes the final, right? The draw, the top half of the draw did really open up at the time yeah. with Korda retiring as well in the quarters. You had uh, potentially Lehechka and Kachanov for him on the way to the final. He would be the favorite in both matches. Uh, basically the only difference we should have this year in regards to, well, let's say there are two major differences in regards to contenders in Australia this year, which is Alcaraz and Medvedev. And I don't want to say Nadal, sorry, John. I mean, I I, I don't really think he's like a genuine Australian Open contender. We might be talking about it very differently when we get to the French, of course, or like the Olympics. But you know, oh, it they seems said like it's that. a bit they early. Said that two years ago, Damien. They said that two years ago. I know, I know, I know. We've said it many times about all of these big free superhumans, as you called them earlier. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be slightly more competitive simply this year than, than it was last year when it was Djokovic just destroying the whole field. Enzo Quacco, mm. the only player who took a set of him. But then you have the final against Tsitsipas, which is a bit of a dire watch. Not that the quality isn't high, but you just sort of know what's going to happen and you don't feel like there's any sense of urgency. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was talking about it for a while and I, 
didn't actually say that much, but <laughs> let's just say that, you know, he is among the top four contenders for me. I don't know if quite top two, but then again, there are like a lot of doubts regarding Alcaraz and Medvedev as well. Alcaraz, the last three or two, two or three months haven't been great. If the Australian Open plays like last year, when it was really favoring flat hitters and it was super quick, if he faces Sinner, it's not a good matchup for him on these courts at all. So, um, yeah, there is a very good chance that he's like the second, third, best, first, third contender for that. I wish the Australian Open, as I said earlier, was was like later in the year. I wish he got like a bit yeah. more time to ease into the new season. But then again, maybe you could argue that this allows him to use all that momentum that he got in the last two months. I don't know. I mean, Historically is, speaking, it about hmm, it, it, right? is complete, it is completely nuts that the Australian Open is as soon as it is, as soon as the season starts. You literally get hmm. two weeks worth of two weeks worth of tournaments and an A presto is, is one of the four biggest events of the entire year. Uh that's that's gonna is, is about there's about to be played. I mean, uh, I know I, um, was it, I wrote an article for um Popcorn Tennis um last year. It was about how how will the could the tour change its schedule at least, or how could it make changes to better accommodate for the fact of climate change and, and, and an ever heating up world. And one of my suggestions, actually, funny enough, was that move the Australian Open to March because it would be a slightly cooler period of time uh, and also would give us probably a bit of a better run-up into the actual event than what we have currently, than what we have currently because it's just, yeah, it, it, it basically it does value those players who can really turn it on very quickly um, or, or certainly those ones who are more experienced in a Grand Slam format to actually do quite well in the Australian Open. And, and looking back in recent years, it, it rarely had, you know, you had to go back, I think, all the way to the to the noughties before you can find somebody who wasn't wasn't named Rafa, Roger, or um, Novak who who actually has won the Australian Open. I mean, okay, you got Stan midway through the mid teens um, as the as the exception to that rule, but it's you know it's really really gone to those players who are much more experienced and a lot more you know at the higher end of the spectrum to actually win that tournament you know comparative to like something like the us open where people there is a longer run-up and it has got has had more varied winners yeah absolutely it's actually an interesting point yeah then then we would also not have the uh, long break between the two first slums which mm. is also a consideration, I guess. But yeah, I, I, I never really wondered about this, On I guess, other than um, usually when I try to do these qualifying predictions, like for the Australian Open, they are so tough because we <laughs> mostly get one week before that before they actually have to compete in that. So like we have zero intel on the players' forums whatsoever. Unless you're solely um, going off the Canberra and the new, and the new what is it, the new um, Caledonia Numea, Challenges yeah, yeah. As, your, yeah. uh, as your benchmark for, for what can happen. Exactly. Like there are there are two challengers in that part of the world. If someone is playing the Australian Open qualifying, then he's probably competing in them. Some don't compete in anything before. So yeah, I mean you just have no intel whatsoever regarding the form. And it's true, it's a it's a little weird that it is so early in the season. And it's also caused issues before for like players who are trying to take their late form, you know, form from later in the previous season to that swing, right? I mean, I don't know. Famously, of course, Felix Auger Aliasim is probably <laughs> the biggest example. But but yeah, I mean, maybe it hits Sinner as well. But uh, yeah, the tennis quality is there, of course. It, it, there's no denying that there is a very strong top four at the top of this, the sport at the moment. Probably a top three as well. Like, I, I think Sinner has edged out Medvedev 
biting that. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the real concerns now. I say real concerns, or at least notable concerns with Medvedev in terms of all three of the other people around him, Sinner, Djokovic, yeah. Alcaraz, have his number and have his number very well. Uh, that, you know, the guy that was the main challenger to Djokovic effectively, you know, two years ago, that you know, was a real threat doesn't really feel like as much of a threat as, as he should be. I mean, you, you you expect him on a hard court to be able to at least make his way through the draw pretty comfortably. But as soon as he comes up against a Sinner or an Alcaraz or a Djokovic, you kind of go, well, you kind of really know the result before it before it ends. And it's a horrible position mm-hmm. for Mepidev to be in. And I really hope that he's able to find some some sort of extra edge uh in 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 you know in the in that in those matches when they end up occurring as we expect them to occur um in in australia um so that it doesn't feel as though it's as inevitable a result as we currently feel at the moment yeah and i i guess that would be it more or less do we have anything else that we should talk about in regards to this or any you know storyline like yeah like a bigger big picture or anything about the match in itself um, I mean, it was just, uh, I think the main thing was the crowd really got, um, was Sinner was able to really use the crowd. He somehow becomes quite a bit of a hype man in a, uh, in a, in a in the, when it comes to the touring crowd. Doesn't do it the rest of the year, but absolutely loves the touring crowd uh, to, sort of, to sort of help him out. And I mean, I, I mean uh, the only real sort of main thing I can think about is that I really hope that he's able to then carry this form on into the beginning of next year uh, because it'd be great to see like another Sinner Djokovic match at the, at the Australian Open. Um, and of course, we'd all love to see because we all love seeing that contest and Alcaraz Sinner match as well. I mean, you know, the Miami one was excellent this year. But it'd be great to have an, a Sinner Alcaraz match um, at the Australian Open, either in the semis or the final. Yeah, it's good you mentioned that crowd thing because like, actually, Sinner, I feel like in the past wasn't that good at utilizing it, I guess, you know, sort of playing with the crowd, right? Uh, but yeah, these days he's like a lot more expression, uh, like, you know, he expresses a lot of emotions on the court. I guess that's also something he probably, you know, sort of intended to change. So it's probably by design. And uh, yeah, definitely an important um, part of this match as well. Ghosty interested in the Molchan Sinner match already. <laughs> Hope it's as good as Molchan Dimitrov for you, Ghosty. Um, I really do. Although, uh, yeah, I would feel sorry for Alex if he got that draw in Australia in round one. Doesn't I mean, at those points, like you get that draw, you kind of feel like just packing your bags up and just going like, well, this is a completely wasted trip. I mean, at first, he actually has to get into the main draw also. Is he not in that? He's outside the top 100 now. Like one something like that. I remember, I remember when he absolutely bossed it during that clay court season last year. Was it last year? Um, uh, I mean, 22, I probably. Like, 22. Yeah, maybe. I remember when he played um, He played Cameron Norrie in, in, in one of the... In a Norrie... Uh, in, a, in, a, in a Leon match. I think it was like the yeah, yeah. No, it was the final. It was the final. I think it was Bradley. the final, yeah. It was a really good, high-quality three-set match. I'm like, well, Mulch, this Molchan yeah. kid's here to stay, and really hasn't really happened since then. Yeah, I had a pretty awful 2023. Uh, other than that Dimitrov round one, which Ghosty just keeps you know mentioning all the time in the chat. Um, it was a good match, though. I, know. I can't disagree with that. Uh, John also says in the chat that we will almost certainly be doing WT number three live later today as well. I'm not sure which matches remain there, but you know, you guys will check. You guys can check it out and uh, learn about it. Uh, when it comes to the ATP matches of 2023, of course, you already know that we are left with the two Djokovic Alcaraz clashes. Which one is first? You have to wait and see. 
so yeah, uh, thank you. Building James, the suspense, almost like a almost like a drum being being beated beated along the way as we as we move our way towards whichever match that will end up being. I don't even know. Maybe John still doesn't know. You know, maybe he's still like, mm, which one will be first? And he's just because like, 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 there's a vault. There's a vault somewhere in like a in in, in the depths of John's or like talking tennis t- um, HQ somewhere where it's uh, where it's going to be like you know opened with a golden envelope at a point. Yeah, apparently we are continuing our despicable war on Slovakian superstars. Anyway, <laughs> uh, as I told you, Ghosty, earlier, I'm a Lukas Klein fan, not an Alex Molchan fan. It, these two don't go hand in hand. In hand. Um, Martin Križan is well coming back, so big, big stuff for uh, Slovak tennis, I guess. But uh, anyway, yeah, we can definitely finish the stream now. Uh, we were talking about Djokovic senior touring, of course. I feel like that's a pretty um, obvious number three pick, but in, in case you disagree, uh, you know, tell, 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 tell us about it in the comments. Maybe there's a match that we missed. Maybe there's a match that should have been number three instead. Maybe it's the senior Altmaier uh, five-hour <laughs> clash that was at number four. Who knows? Um, maybe it's the Dimitri of Molchan US Open round one. Maybe just agree with Ghosty and it, that should have been number three. But anyway, you know, keep tuning into these shows. And uh, yeah, thank you, James, for the for the talk. And uh, we can wrap it up here. No worries. Good speaking to you, Damien. so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.